And there's a quote I love that, that I say to my team all the time, which is how you do anything is how you do everything. And so, you know, the, the day that you're willing to put out a really crappy effort could be the person who's asked to give you a referral down the line. again to the Entrepreneur's Wallet. My name is Jordi Mueller and I'm very glad you're tuning in today. Our guest entrepreneur for this week is Robert Glazer. Bob, as pretty much everybody knows him, is the founder and current managing director at Acceleration Partners, which is an affiliate marketing company based here in Boston, but with recently opened offices in the UK. He's also the founder of Brian Cycle, which as you will hear during the conversation has made him a way more strategic and nimble entrepreneur. Bob is also a regular contributor to numerous outlets, including Entrepreneurs Magazine, Fastco Magazine, Huffington Post, Success, Forbes, amongst others. He's basically getting to be really known when it comes to affiliate marketing and the future of this industry. I got introduced to Bob through EO, Entrepreneurs Organization here in Boston, where he is the former president of the Boston chapter. Throughout the conversation, you're going to learn that Bob's entrepreneurship story is a little different than what you are typically expecting from an entrepreneur. He is a risk-averse entrepreneur. He's very methodical, very strategic with his implementation process, and he kind of just stumbled into being a business owner. It will become very noticeable through the entire conversation that he's extremely passionate about always doing your best. This is just not on relationships as his book, Performance Partnerships, uh, highlights, but basically in everything you do. He highly believes in accountability and, he, and as a consequence of that, he highly trusts all of his employees. Culture is a huge part of his company and he has done an amazing job making sure that every person that works for him or under him or around him bleeds and sweats the culture that he brought to his own company. On the personal finance front, he actually falls in the responsible category. He, long time ago, before the company became very successful, had very clear the financial goals that he wanted for his kid and family and implemented them and reached out for help and got it done. And this is definitely not the typical story we usually hear entrepreneurs. So even on that side, he was very methodical and strategic about it. So I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Please let us know if you have any questions or comments. and. Without any further ado, here is Robert Glazer. Hey, Bob, good morning. How are you doing? Hey, Joy, how are you? Good, good. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, Bob, I, I got to admit something before we start, and I know we're being recorded. Um, I was a little intimidated by you or to interview you. Um, it doesn't happen often, but it also doesn't happen often that I meet somebody with so much drive that you, you got to keep them interested in the conversation because that is exactly uh, how your conversations go usually. You have a, a, a very unique point of view, very driven, very results-oriented, and, uh, and it's something I admire. So preparing for your podcast was really hard. I was trying to figure out the, the right questions, the right um, setting, and uh, it's hard. It's hard. I don't know if you heard that before from you. Uh, no, I, no, I appreciate that, Jordy, but no one, I don't, I don't even intimidate anyone in my house, even though I try. So I, uh, <laughs> I, I might have a false perception there, but I, but I, but I appreciate it. Awesome. Maybe it's because I've seen you in the news so much lately that I'm like, this guy is becoming really big and uh, I'm really uh, lucky to have you on. Well, as I, as I tell everyone, I, we, we, you know, we're a marketing company. So if we're not good at our own marketing, then you probably shouldn't shouldn't hire us. But but people also shouldn't <laughs> believe everything they read. I think we've gotten we've gotten ourselves into some trouble with that with that in uh, in society these days. Cool, cool. Um, just for the listeners, uh, do you mind telling us where are you joining us from? Like where, uh, where are you currently? Sure, I'm in uh, based out of Needham, Mass. So not too not too far away. So I, I like to start this podcast usually with a couple of personal questions, and it's just to set up the table. And, and with you, it was a little different because to my understanding, you haven't gone through the process of actually selling a company before. And that tends to be uh, an emotion. I have not. I have Go. studied it. I've talked to a lot of yeah. people that have both <laughs> bought and sold and listened to their uh, war stories, but I have, I have not done that. And... Um, and, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is because that tends to be one of the most emotional days they describe going back in, yeah. their, in their entrepreneurial life. So 
I, I might switch it and say, and ask you, if you could describe a little bit of what your relationship with money, with uh, uh, wealth was when growing up? I mean, how was your environment? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's funny, in a different context, I, I, I thought of this uh, and I can uh, some theory the other day that I was thinking about for a, for a post about what, what people focus on in their 20s versus 30s or 40s. So we can come back to that later. But my relationship with money uh, was I always liked it from an early, an early age. I I would try to sell things. I got a job as soon as I get a job. I would shovel people's driveways. I really liked. Uh, it's funny. My I was just reading, and I've used this on a few things. My first report card I ever had in preschool uh, when I was five, and it could have been written yesterday as a as a peer review. But they, you know, they said I really liked the. The co- figuring out the cause and effect of things. So for me, I, I you know, it was you worked and someone paid you for that, or you figured out something you could sell and you paid for that, and that was sort of validation that it that it was working. So um, I, I, you know, I grew up in a upper middle class neighborhood, upper middle class uh, environment, and and even though money was. I mean, my parents actually really elevated uh, themselves uh, as as from the time I was born. They they really kind of made their own careers. They came from more uh, middle class, but it, I never wanted or or lacked for every anything as as a child. But I was fiercely independent, and I didn't want to be given stuff. And I've always hated entitlement, so I, I wanted to earn my own money and do things for myself. Do, do you remember uh, the first official paycheck you ever got? Yeah, I think it was from Papa Gino's. Uh, I had definitely worked a lot of, <laughs> you know, not official jobs, but the first official job where I had to get one of those yellow cards and a, and a right to work was at yeah. at Papa Gino's. Flipping oh, pizzas, man, I did not making know subs. I did not know you worked at Papa Gino's. I, I, I would have interviewed a Papa Gino's guy before this. Um, so, so I, saw, that's I saw things. I saw, then, I saw things in those in those kitchens that I you know can't can't can't, can't get uh, out of my just head. Just a disclosure. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I might have to blink the Papaginos, <laughs> but uh, thank you for that's sharing. That. Um, okay, so that's very interesting. Uh, that that's actually what I see in you when I uh, when I chat with you in person. You see this person uh, driven for new things, new ideas, new ways to connect. And as you read uh, your book, which is not just about specifically marketing, but enhancing partnerships that actually are more accountable to each other and bring some value in an instant, measurable way, um, it, it, I, I instantly think, what is in your head the most important partnership you had at the beginning when you were creating your first company, which is Acceleration Partners? I, I don't know that it was... Uh, well, the, uh, probably with Tiny Prince. So we we sort of both were getting started and mutually bet on each other, and 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 it was taking a risk, them taking a risk on me, me taking a risk on them, and growing that program. That was a big launch pad for our business because the company went on to be very successful. The people that worked there went went elsewhere. Mm-hmm. But I've always tried to approach each relationship uh, around around excellence. And there's a quote I love the, that I say to my team all the time, which is how you do anything is how you do everything. And so, you know, the, the day that you're willing to put out a really crappy effort could be the person who's asked to give you a referral down the line. So I have, if I do something and this is not true for my whole life, I would say this is true for my, uh, probably mid twenties on when, once I sort of figured out who I was and what I wanted to do. But I, if I, if I do it, I do it well, or I opt out of it. I, there really is no in between for me. Do you think that comes from uh, uh, somewhere in your family that like you saw that, or you were completely different than the rest? I don't know. It's a good question. I, it, it is. It comes from not wanting to to let people down to to do a good job. I probably learned along the way, sort of what what relationships and what reputation meant. And uh, I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know where it comes from, but it's something that became. Uh, very, very strong for me, probably. I, I really was, I, I talk about this a lot of my team. I mean, I, I really was a pretty 
big underachiever <laughs> until I <laughs> until I got until I got to about my junior year in college. I did absolute minimum that I needed to do to get by in anything. So I think something did change. I, I, I developed a, I was able to separate. I went abroad for six months. I was able to sort of, I got involved in some business stuff and learned that I really liked that. And, but I was able to separate sort of a, a, a love of learning from formal education, which hadn't really inspired me that much, you know, before that. Yeah. Uh, where did you go for, uh, for your foreign trip? Uh, I went to Prague for a semester. Oh, nice. Yeah. I guess maybe the incentive to move to Prague, <laughs> uh, it's, it's something that... I yeah, I was traveling. I worked at a consulting firm over there. It was transitioning from communism era to capitalism, all kinds of really interesting things going on. It was just really... In, I read a ton and wrote in my journal for the first time. It was just very intellectually stimulating. And I've actually been reading that journal now. It's funny, almost 20 something years later for the first time uh, this year. And it's just interesting to look back at my thoughts at that time. And I definitely had much better handwriting. You know, we don't know how to write anymore. And that's very apparent if you compare my current journal to my past journal. I, I completely agree with you. The other day, I was put in that situation where I had to write a couple of hundred words in paper. And I realized <laughs> the first sentence Hard. looks completely different than the last sentence. Um, Your hand hurts too, probably. It does. Well, I play tennis, so that helps a little bit with that. Oh, that's um, good. Right. And so so I'm, we're going to be jumping around because uh, I don't know a lot of your background of how you started the company. And I also don't know a lot of your family. I know uh, one of your kids plays tennis. That's as much as I know. Um, but but just bear with me as, as we go through these questions. Uh, I'm sure, sure it's going to be fun. Uh, the first one is, do you remember funding the company? Like that moment when you had to make that first financial decision and say, okay, here we go. This is official. Yeah, it's a little different. I don't want, I don't want to make this sound overly dramatic than it is. Because for folks who started service businesses, it's not as much about writing that, that big check. It's about just giving your time. So I think probably technically it was like a hundred dollars to, you know, and setting up a hundred shares or something like that of the, of the LLC. So I, I actually don't have that dramatic moment where I, where I had to make a decision. You know, those are the types of decisions I probably wouldn't have made then that I'm more likely to make now. We launched a second business a few years ago. I had to write, you know, a pretty big check to do that, but I was able to start this business by just, just going to work and putting the sweat equity into it more than the financial equity into it. But it was a risk. I mean, I had just had my second son. I, I, I had a job. I got a six month consulting agreement that gave me some cushion. But, but you know, one thing, and I don't know if you talked about this with a lot of your um, uh, listeners or not your I listeners, I guess you're the people yeah. you're interviewing. But I, I, I think that, you know, in the same way that people, there's no good time to have a family, when you have a family and you have increasing responsibilities, I think sometimes that's when people are able to pull a, a rabbit out of the hat or, you know, our, our, our sales uh, leader has talked about, you know, that when he finds out that in the past that one of his, you know, uh, salespeople is having a kid, you know, suddenly their motivation goes up a lot and the need to provide. So, I, you know, it's right in the middle of a house and a kid and you'd say it's actually the worst time to do it. But. You know, I was gonna, I, I was gonna make it successful. I mean, I didn't have a choice. So once I realized that the power of being in control of my own destiny, that's when you know you're never going back to work. When it feels more risky to put your career in someone else's hands than it feels to control it yourself. I think that's the that's where people cross over and and never go back to a job. So now that you say it like that and you mention it, now I'm reflecting through the few conversations we've have had already, and that that is something true. Um, usually, the company conversation, the life of the of the financing is like a it's its own storyline. And as soon as we start digging into personal life, I you can totally put them together, and the timeline matches that that pressure of having the responsibility uh, that like you call it taking the rabbit out of the hat. Or, or feeling yeah, there's more. never there's never a good time. There's not yeah. a good time to have a kid. There's not a good time to start a company. But 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 someone told me they were actually writing a book and they were working on studying this. That people have their best some of their best years, you know, when they have this pressure, this this thing to to, to work for. So oh man, yeah, I hope. Well, never a I'm good, not never a good I'm, time. I'm not married and I don't have a kid. So does that mean I have to get married right. and have a kid? <laughs> right, um, so it just means you're doing you know you're underachieving then. <laughs> Well, well, thank you for putting it that way. My mom probably doesn't agree with that. Um, 
so so now going back to the beginning again of the company, uh, uh, tell me what what your family thought about it. Um, I think they were my. I mean, my kids were too young to to think. Uh, my wife was very supportive. I think she was happy to see me do my own thing. I think she knew sort of entrepreneurially and saw some of my struggles kind of working for other people and being frustrated and feeling like I was doing the right thing, but not being rewarded for it. So uh, again, when you start a services business, uh, it, it is a lot about putting your time on the line and, and getting paid. I, I think you just, it, it, it's, it's, it's different. So I, I, you know, I just, I started getting some consulting work and, and, and ran in that direction and I was working from home. So I was home more. Um, but no, she understood the trade-offs. I mean, one of the, the, the consulting job that I got for six months, which sort of gave me the security to leave meant going to Seattle after my second son was born. And, uh, once, you know, he was three or four weeks old and they were long trips and, um, no, she was, she was, you know, very, very supportive. And, you know, I think everything is a trade-off. So, uh, you don't, you don't get reward without risk. You don't get, you know, upside. Uh, there, there's not a lot of nine to five jobs I know that have, uh, extraordinary upside. So, you know, we talk about this a lot and try to find the balance between, uh, you know, what, 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 what we can do and achieve and, and where that means that it compromises things that are, that are important to us. I mean, if I, if I felt that, you know, we could double our income by working twice as much, it's probably a decision that neither of us would, would want to make. In all your answers so far, you tend to say, we, uh, who do you refer as we? <laughs> um, okay, my so, wife, okay, Rachel. Awesome. Uh, some people say we like my partner in the company <laughs> when we talk about this. Uh, yeah, no, I have I have a management team and and uh, but I did not have, I don't have a partner that I like started the business with. Have you considered that throughout the life of the company, having more like a like an equity partner to inject uh, into the business? Yeah, I think look, a partner is. Uh, I think I think it matters most in the in the beginning whether people go out alone or they go with a partner. And if you have that right person to do that with, then I think it works really well. And if you don't, then it's probably better off going alone than, than getting the wrong person. So what, what I've seen over the years and through Entrepreneurs Organization and EO and a lot of the groups I've been, it, it, it is a marriage, right? And, and if the divorce rate's 50% in the personal world, it's about that in the business world. So when, it, when it's great, it's great. And when it doesn't work, it's a disaster. So I have, I have seen the whole uh, spectrum of of folks who have partners and don't have partners, and I, I think there's tremendous upside. It's just very mm -hmm. time and person dependent. Uh, there's someone I was talking to last week who just you know merged his company and uh, they were moving along in a new partnership, and it is totally fallen apart and then it's now irreconcilable. So it really, I don't see a lot in the middle. I think, uh, one, uh, one, someone I know who's had the same business partner for 20 years and married 25 years. So he has two sort of marriages in his life, his business marriage and, and his personal marriage. And, and they're sort of at the, at the same level for him. Uh, this is a question that, um, I have asked a couple of our colleagues here at Lexington and, uh, I get to talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of owners, uh, interesting people and, and they hear the questions I ask. And so I pass a list around and I gotta be honest, the one question that won, won by a lot. It, it was not even a close call. And I, I promise I was going to ask you this. Um, and, and it's a little bit out of the blue and don't worry when we're, when we're editing, it might not be in okay. the right place, but it goes like this. It says your house containing everything you own catches fire. After saving your loved ones and pets and pictures and videos, you have time to safely make a final dash to save one item. What would that be for you? Uh, the pictures and videos would always be there. I guess that's that's everyone's answers. Well, I, I, that's what I've always thought of when I've thought of this uh, exercise. Um, I probably journals. Now that I have them, I, I really, does that count as, as pictures Absolutely. or? Yeah. No, so, no, no, I mean, it counts as an answer. Yeah. 
Okay. That, yeah, I, I, I have... I have some journals from from college and going back and have kept journals over the last couple of years, which I think both for me and maybe after my life, you know, are, are a story that kids and grandkids or otherwise can can get a look into and see sort of my journey and values and thinking. So that's everything else is is repairable and, and digital these days. So I was, I was thinking around what, what else is analog that can't, can't be repaired. Well, so that, um, uh, talking about your journal that talks all about your writing and how much pride you put on that. Uh, I am personally a, a Friday reader of your Friday forwards. Uh, this is something that Bob sends to a long list of people every Friday with certain small topics. And, uh, this Friday actually happened to be a little more of a reflection, uh, Friday forward read. And I, I really appreciate it. Um, I just came back from Puerto Rico. Uh, I was volunteering for a week and I definitely put a lot of things on perspective back again in my life. So it was very timely for me. But uh, after reading that Forward Friday, uh, which, which talks about timelines and, and goals depending on timelines, uh, where do you find yourself the most in those timelines? Uh, the blog describes very short, your work takes over. So you're thinking of literally day to day, medium when you're in kind of like, executive CEO level or more uh, long-term decades yeah. it's when it's a, uh, I don't know, a, a more forward yeah, the, the time, the time span of discretion. Yeah. And, and one of the things I, and, and what the, what the founder of this theory sort of said is that, you know, we operate in certain time spans. Some of us are jobs and our lives necessitate thinking, you know, days or hours ahead. And, and, and so that's really the, the, how we make good decisions and other people look at decisions over, you know, a couple of years or even if you're, if you're Einstein or Elon Musk or the decades yeah. and, and, and thinking ahead. And but if it, yeah, but I mean, I thought I, about it and I mean, I'm even, sorry, go ahead. No, I said, but if I want to tie it up to you building a company, did you consider, yeah. did you actually even think of this or it was just more as we go? So early on, it's as we go. It's, it's about survival. And, but when the company has really started growing over the last couple of years, I think it was for me stepping back. There's a phrase you probably have heard a lot that comes out of EO members are working in the business versus on the business. So when you're starting a business, you got to work in the business. It's survival. Find something people will pay you for, hustle, get it done. But then that sort of thinking doesn't get you where you want to go. And so when I was able to sort of get the right people in place and a team and, and step back and, and, and paint a picture and say, here's where we want to go and here's how we're going to get there and, and, and expand my time horizon. I think that's, that's when our growth is actually accelerated. And I was able to say, this is, this is my clear two. So two years ago, three, sorry, a year ago, we created a three-year vivid vision of <laughs> where we want to be as a company. And it talked about all types of things through a country, companies, countries we wanted to be in, writing this book that didn't exist, awards we wanted to win, what our culture was going to look like. And it was really me saying, this is what I want to build. And I stepped back to do that and brought it back to the company and rally people around it and get excited about it. So, and we're moving very quickly and even faster than I would have ever imagined towards getting that stuff done. We were talking about this week, we were just told that we won a pretty big award that'll come out next Tuesday. And there were seven awards we said we wanted to win on this Vivid Vision and put pictures of them. And we've won five of them and have a pretty good indication we might win all seven by Jan by February, which would be only 14 months into this three-year plan. So the flip, so... Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and, and so the thinking big is what produces big results. However, you know, the example I give there, and I actually think I probably now... Sometimes I'm operating too much in the long term. And this was the Elon Musk example in that, you know, sometimes we're to get there, we're pushing people and we're doing things. And it's important for me to talk to people in the short term and understand the short term implications of those of those long term goals. Because, you know, I might say, oh, we're, we're successfully, you know, getting these awards and our marketing team might say we're all about to quit because it's it's just been too hard for us to do all these applications. So I I. I yeah. You know, he, he tended in, in, in the, the, the man who wrote the theory tended to say you, you um, are naturally inclined. I, th I think that's true. You find work that's tied to your time span. But I also think that by working in a certain time span, you become overly 
uh, aware of that time span. And, and you actually, it's like a comfort zone thing. If you're, if you're in a short-term thing, you need to step out and think long-term. If you're in a long-term thing, you know, to bring things into the short-term a little more. And it's a, you're, you're not going to switch sides, but it's just always good to have uh, agility and perspective around that. Yeah. So that is a, that is an insight that I haven't heard before, especially on the, on the, on the second part of that uh, sentence, which is if you're in the big long-term goals, you have to also dig in and be thinking of short term uh, and be agile. You're, you need to be agile on it. Uh, yeah, I mean, the example I gave is you have, you know, Elon Musk has this amazing plan to change the whole auto industry and he might, but but the company's teetering on running out of money if they can't get this car out on time, the the, the, the Model 3. And, and so all, all of that amazing future stuff might not even be a reality if they if they can't, you know, solve the the near-term uh problems that they have in front of them so um uh i'm gonna change the topic a little bit and um it, and it's, your party. it's my party and it's gonna be a little bit uh personal so um we we work i'm an open book so oh, well, thank you um how do you what's happiness for you happiness i think it's it's alignment and, and congruency. The, the, the best definition of happiness I've heard is the Gandhi quote, which is, I think happiness is what, when you say, uh, think and do are, are all in alignment. So you're really, you know, what you're thinking is how you're, uh, is, is how you're acting and, and, and what you're doing. And to me that, I think that's a pretty good, good description of just being your true self and being authentic. I think most people that aren't happy are being inauthentic in some way, or they're not, they're not getting what they want. They're below their potential. They're saying one thing, but doing another thing. And they're just not sort of living, uh, probably uh, up to their potential or living their, their, their true self. And that, I think that misalignment is, is what creates, uh, unhappiness. Yeah. And, and, uh, I actually agree 100% with you in that one. Uh, I love that quote of Gandhi as well. Uh, you might have used it before on a Friday Forward, which is probably the first time I heard it. And then I, yeah. I, I just, uh, it became one of my, in my repertoire. Um, and and this, this follow-up question is, we all know that money doesn't bring happiness. Like it's, it's a common denominator. Yeah. Well, what role has it played in your life to bring happiness to you? And I'm talking about money. <laughs> Well, I think money, if you're all, if you're all about money and I'm, there's plenty of studies on this, that it, at a certain point, it just doesn't make you happier. But I think money has afforded me the opportunity to do things that are aligned with my beliefs and core values and to, to have more impact. And, and that is how I sort of view money that it's, it, how does it, how does it support and align what I really want to do and how I think I can make a difference and, and an impact. Uh, it, it is, it's interesting. And this goes back to something I alluded before. It's a little, not less important to me now, but I think, you know, I, when, when I was 10 or 12 or 13 and money was very validating, Hey, someone validates me and they'll pay me for something. I always encourage people to learn in their twenties and earn in their thirties I think people are very discriminated against in their 20s in terms of you're just not going to be paid a certain amount. It's kind of like you're on your rookie contract in the NFL. And even if you're the best player on the team, you're still on your rookie contract. And why am I going to give you a big one? So what I've seen a lot of people is it really, and if it, people have, a lot of people I've heard give this advice. The best thing you can do in your 20s is get with the right mentors, make the right connections so that literally as you start to turn 30 and, and, and the market values you more, you see your earning potential go up dramatically. If, if someone told me they had the opportunity to get in front of a, the, the, the decisions you make to go one place or another for $5,000 in your 20s, it's just not a lot of money versus the difference of having the right people and the right skills and experience to make hundreds of thousands in your 30s. So in your 30s, you start to feel a little more validated and you make money and you married and kids and you have needs and, and that's important. And you know, as I've turned in my 40s, for me, it's a little starting to be more about legacy and impact and thinking about, you know, what, 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 what's the dent that I'm going to make in the world. 
And th well, that's not about money directly in terms of some of the things that I want to do for myself and my family and community or otherwise, they will require money. So it is certainly intertwined into my, to my journey and my plan. So I'm going to use your own words. Uh, I love the word legacy. I, I actually talk about legacy a lot in Lexington. Uh, I guess uh, my grandfather and my dad uh, raised me and my sister to always think any decision you make, if it's going to add to your legacy or if it's not going to make it, like, if not going to be part yeah. of the story, right? Um, and, and obviously we migrated, me and my sister from Mexico here, so we had to make those decisions. But is your company now becoming your legacy? Yes. And it's not just the company. I think it's the impact on the people within the company. So how we've built our culture and recently at our, 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 our annual AP summit, as we called it, I mean, one of the presentations I gave was on people figuring out what they wanted to achieve and, and, and using the company as a vehicle to get what they wanted out of life so that, you know, I hope in 10 or 20 years, anyone that worked here is, you know, remembers this being the key point of their career where, you know, things really started accelerating. So I don't think it's the company it's, itself in like the company is a, is an object that to, to be sort of worshiped like a car. It's more of it as a, as an organism or as a, as a platform, but I do think a lot about the company as a legacy. At the same time, and, and I'm sure you've seen this, I think it's really important too for me to have an identity, you know, that is not also tied to the company because if anything ever happened to the company, if the company sold, I, th I think you see a lot of people get very depressed and feel very rudderless in their life and wish they hadn't done that. And, you know, that, that's one of the things I've learned from a lot of people who have done that. And so I'm, I'm conscious both to make the company as meaningful as it can be to myself and others, but also not to tie my identity to the company at the same time. So you just jump into my next question, which is a company, you do, you get two stars. <laughs> so I'll give you two stars, <laughs> maybe a half of half of an hour of free tennis. Um, I was going to say, have you ever thought of your life after selling the company or you think it's too early? It, I mean, yes and no, because I, I, I don't know if we will sell the company, but in the same way that I try to think about uh, the alignment and core values, there, there are activities that I am already doing now that sort of fulfill part of that mission that aren't tied to the, the company. So I think it's key to not make the company my my entire life because again then I, my identity as a person the company certainly is a platform for me and i would say it gives me a a megaphone but i'm trying to develop my own uh, brand identity and and sort of influence in the subjects and stuff that are important to me that 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 stands alone from that and i think you know that that that's part of the that's part of the equation i think some people when they lose their company they lose everything and they lose their whole uh, identity, but I'm, I'm trying to take the things that I do well within my company and also do them elsewhere so that I, it's good to have diversity, uh, always to have a little bit of diversity. I don't think it's, it's ever good to have your eggs in one basket for both financial and non, non-financial reasons. So I, I, I am not, not saying it wouldn't be hard, but I, I definitely, I definitely have taken steps to, to try to address that proactively. Hey, well, uh, you definitely founded a second company. Uh, which is similar uh, in a similar industry, similar platform to, to your original yep. company. Why did you do that? Uh, we did that because there was a lot of demand for, uh, we're, we're, without getting into the specifics, we sort of represent sellers in our marketplace. And there was a lot of questions and demands in our industry. Could we represent buyers? And we felt that the people in our industry who did both were a little conflicted and had created a lot of the problems that I talk about in my book. But clearly, there was a market to, to represent buyers. And we tested it and validated it within the company and then said, you know what, if we're going to do this, it really needs to be separate. And we had someone who was entrepreneurial, who was leading it, and um, we thought it was a good fit for, for them to, to, to run that. I also had gone back to and sort of a theory of innovation and, and some stuff I had read years ago about how Cisco systems rolled out new businesses. And 
anytime they were working on some something, they bought back a lot of businesses and that were funded by Cisco employees. And people would look at that and say, well, why didn't you just keep the people there? And they said, well, if we wanted that company to be successful, we needed that person to, to be the entrepreneur, wake up every day, have the risk. We've seen that when we're testing new ideas within the confines of Acceleration Partners, people always want to work on new stuff because that's fun and they have their job. And when we spun off Brand Cycle, we said, hey, this is a new business and it doesn't pay the same thing and there aren't the same benefits and there's equity and there's upside and different risk profiles. So if you Now, do you really want to do this? And everyone said, no, I don't want to do this. Then, then that clearly wasn't the right fit. But I think when you really do something new and the biggest mistake that entrepreneurs make is spreading themselves too thin. I can definitely be the visionary across multiple businesses, but I don't think you can really run multiple businesses. So I actually have a general manager who runs Acceleration Partners on a day-to-day basis. And, and uh, that is where I've seen every entrepreneur uh, fail. So if we want to do something, we really think it's a different business. We need to be able to have that stand on its own and we need to have someone who's going to lead it. And that person's going to wake up every day worrying about making that business uh, successful. So, so, so that seems to have been a tough thing for, for you to do, especially when you talk about at the beginning of this podcast about how you were working in, pit, in pizza places, cutting the grass, doing these little jobs for money. It's like, it's the activity that you would enjoy. You would enjoy the reward. And now yeah. completely in a visionary way, it changes your personality a little bit, I would say. Uh, yeah, or enhances my, my, my it. Role is, yeah. yeah, my role is different. I mean, I it's a choice. You can you can either be strategic, be visionary, or execute. But at a certain point, you really can't do both. So, as I have evolved as a leader, and our company has grown, and I mean, my job is to set vision, set strategy, to find the right people, develop leaders, not 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 to do the work. That just doesn't that just doesn't scale. So, yeah, my my role has had to evolve, but you know, as I develop those skill sets and I learn to enjoy doing that, I mean, that, that I, I think it's hard transition for people to make. And then when they make it, it's a big reward to watch other people succeed and execute and things happen without you doing it. I think there's a lot of people who just can't make that transition from, from doer to, to leader or enabler. And they're, they're really not the same thing. Uh, the, the first couple of interviews uh, I had, I had this question down, which was like, have you ever made any mistakes, blah, blah, blah. And obviously all entrepreneurs were like, of course we have made mistakes. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Like, no, that's what where, where do you want me to begin? Exactly. So, so I have modified this question to be a little more specific because I really think that yeah. stories down there that, that resignate and stay with entrepreneurs through the life of a company. So do you remember any or one particular bad decision that almost jeopardize the future of the business? I, I, I'm not a, I, I, I know I like asking these questions. I, I don't take the type of risk I think that ever puts the whole business on the line. And I'm not a very high person, not a very low. So I, I don't do well with extreme questions because my, my, my disposition generally is not extreme, but I'll, I'll answer this in a, in a, in a different way. I think Someone once said to me that the longest time, the most difficult period in an entrepreneur's life and the time between uh, when you know you need to do something and you, do, and you do it. And I think that has definitely put the business at risk and cost us lots of time and probably millions of dollars was when I, I knew something in my gut. And in the service business, it's usually about a person and about a person who's not a good or a bad person, but they have just exceeded their, they've hit their ceiling of where they contribute to your company and they really need a different role or they need to move on. And, and, you know, one thing about sort of being a visionary and the thing that I do is I see things well before they tend to, to happen. And, and I almost regret every case where I, I sort of knew something in my gut and I waited way too long to deal with it. And none of them were catastrophic, but I have a feeling that they set us back a lot from, from where, we, where we could have been. Interesting. Thank you for sharing that. I want to talk about your kids a little bit. Uh, this, is, this has been the toughest question everybody has had to answer. And, and it's not because I said it, it's because they texted me later and they were like, okay, I didn't think of that before. <laughs> uh, do you fear that the way you're teaching your kids about <laughs> money is going to pay off or, or, or how, how do you teach your kids about money? 
Yeah, we try to teach our kids about value and personal responsibility and and the value of money. I think it's actually not necessarily how much money one has, but how one values that. And as soon as you stop valuing that, you have entitlement. And so that's something I, you know, I, I can't stand entitlement. I, I ne- I've never wanted to be given anything. And so it, it's a very different perspective than a lot of people have. And like, like the notion of like inheriting something is, it makes me uncomfortable um, because I, I didn't, I didn't earn it. And I know some people, other people think that's like winning the lottery. <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, my, yeah, my my grandfather, um, when he passed away and look, he was like saved every penny and hid it under his mattress and and there was there was some money left because he he, he did this when my grandmother and, and my grandfather passed away sort of subsequently and my uh my mother and her brother decided to sort of dis I don't know what the term is, but disallow it so that it would go down in the next generation. And, you know, we each got a check, all the grandkids. And, and, and to me, I was sort of like, it was like blood money. I was like, so I'm, I'm being given this money that he worked so hard for his whole life. And the only thing I could think to do with it was I, I put it into my kids' uh, 529 account so that, you know, I could tell them one day that their great grandfather helped them with their, I mean, the thought of even like going out and buying a car or spending, it just, it just feels wrong. <laughs> it just feels wrong to me. I can't. I, I couldn't do it. So, so if that tells you about my approach, that's sort of how I think about with my kids. I mean, I, I'm very clear to them. I mean, we live in a nice neighborhood and nice house and I'm, I'm very clear to them that there are things that I've wanted and I've worked for. And, you know, I have, I fly a ton. So I always get upgraded to first class and I joke like, say, look, you know, if you want to, you, you know, I said, my oldest daughter, I always joke, I say, look, you like nice things. You want to go to nice places. There's certain things that, that you're going to need to do. So, I mean, my wife and I even thought about this a lot in our estate planning and, and, and not doing anything that would make them change their life cycle or make a decision based on, on, on money or something that would be becoming to them. So it's, it's, it's very important to me that my kids know the value of money, that they do what they want to do in life, understand that all, all choices have, have consequences and, and really value hard work and, and, and value savings. And, and, you know, I'm, my oldest daughter is sort of more in that stage now, but she's 13 or 14. Similar to me, she's babysitting all the time. You know, we got her a uh, bank card and, and so she can, get her bank statement and, and charge her own things and see, and put her own money in. It's, it's just very important to me that, that they see the whole earning spending cycle. I remember being in college and there were people that had credit cards and they just didn't even know what happened on the other side of that credit card. And that's, that's just not something I would ever do with my kids. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm much more wary that they will have too much than not a lot. So, so um, without you knowing, you actually mentioned a, a lot of financial planning in your answer. Uh, yeah. You talk about estate planning. You talk about five twenty nine. You talk about uh, retirement. I'm, try, I'm trying to help you out. I'm trying no, to help no. you out. Here. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, but that is actually not normal with with business owners. Uh, we deal with business owners a lot. We have uh, we have encountered these situations before, and uh, a lot of the attention tends to be happening on the business, and 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 most of them when they come to us, uh, it, it comes to a realization that this conversation hasn't happened for X Y Z usually because they don't want to face it. Uh, it. It means making a decision between the business and the future, personal future. Uh, what do you think is that? What do you think entrepreneurs tend to not focus so much on the personal finance when it comes to business? On, on the implications on personal finance? Yeah, they, yeah. It seems like the planning is not as much. Well, because they're probably visionaries and, you know, I, I'm a little more operationally inclined than most entrepreneurs. Again, I, I'm much lower on the risk tolerance spectrum. So I think I'm I, I'm sort of a different species of entrepreneur. Like I, there are a lot of people who the reason why they make a billion dollars is because they've doubled down, you know, five times in their career and fought through when they could lose it all. I just that, that is I, I've actually have to force myself higher into the into the risk spectrum. But uh, yeah, I think entrepreneurs are, are, are forward looking. They are in the future. That's what they do great. And as a result, uh, oftentimes they're not paying attention to the present and the present consequences and the things that are going on. It's probably very similar to that time span 
discussion that we were just having. But uh, I think that, yeah. yeah, that's, that's, that probably would be my answer. And, 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 or it's just not fun, right? They, they, they do the stuff that's fun and the big ideas. And this is, this is not fun stuff <laughs> to them. <laughs> yeah. That's what Dave Will told me. Uh, there was like, it's just not fun. <laughs> uh, so, so it definitely resonates with me. Um, we're, we're almost closing now the podcast and thank you for your time, but I, I still have a couple of things that I wanted to ask you. And the first one is, uh, anybody that you have met that, that, that kind of like have caused an impact on you? Yeah, there, there are a few, there are a few people. I just, uh, one of them is a mentor of mine, uh, a guy named Warren Rustan, who's, what played professional basketball worked as I think assistant chief of staff in the white house and has been on the board of, or, or the CEO of over 50 companies. And he does a lot of leadership training in uh, EO, which is one of the, the organization that uh, Christine uh, founder uh, of Lexington Wealth mm -hmm. and I are, are involved in. So he's just an incredible uh, leader who, who teaches a lot of people how to figure out their purpose and values and expect more out of life. And I think everyone who has come into contact with Warren or heard him speak or worked with him has just felt compelled to up their own game. And, and I think one of the, one of the clear things, you know, that he has proven is that when you, when you up your own game, you, you force others to do the same and, and, and pull other people up along the journey. And it just has a, has a multiplier effect. So Warren has, has impacted hundreds, if not thousands of people directly in a meaningful way. And probably, probably has no idea how many people under that have been affected by his, his leadership and his example as well. Okay. Um, I'm going to have to reach out to him. <laughs> uh, he seems to be an interesting person to talk to <laughs> or, or at least to, to reference. Yeah. You can find some videos uh, online. He's, he's, he's a busy guy. Um, the, the last thing to close down is, uh, we, we tend to give the opportunity, I mean, you just mentioned Warren as your mentor, but to, to say thank you to people that have helped you along the way. And, uh, and there's so many people that probably have helped you along the way. Uh, but is there two people that you want to say thank you right now for making you how successful you are today? Who would that be? Yeah, well, my, my parents, you know, that would be, I think, early, earlier life really, you know, setting me up, education, um, providing really, you know, a great environment for me to grow up and learn in. I think, you know, transition point, I've, I had a lot of great mentors along the way, and I've definitely done, uh, better when I've had strong mentors who, who pushed me. I don't, I don't mind being, being pushed. I actually do better, I think, <laughs> with that style. Uh, my first, uh, boss coming out of college was someone named, uh, Arun Gupta when I worked at uh, Arthur D. Little, and and Arun really pushed me to to be better, and uh, he was really the first business mentor that I had, and 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 challenged me and made me better, and I and I think made a made a big difference in my my professional life and my career. I, I, I can distinctly remember a discussion I had with him uh, sitting in his office where I had promised him something on a, on a Monday, I think I on a Friday. And, and when it wasn't done on Monday, you know, he said to me, you really got to pay attention to expectations. I mean, I, I didn't need this before Wednesday, but you told me Monday and now it didn't be done on Tuesday. And if you just told me Wednesday and did it on Tuesday, I'd be really happy. And now I'm annoyed. And, you know, that was the kind of just straightforward uh, advice that he gave me. And, and, you know, we talk a lot about millennials and feedback and our culture at our company is very much about feedback, but it's about caring, but, but challenging feedback and, and feedback is not all just, Hey, you're doing a great job. It's, Hey, here's where you can do, here's where you can do better. And here's where it's, it's hurting you. So, um, yeah, he was, he was a really great mentor for me. Awesome. And, um, here's a closing question, Bob. What do you want people to remember you for? You know, now or when I'm gone? Okay. That's on me. Um, when you're gone. I had to do this exercise once at a training and it was interesting. I, I want to be remembered uh, for having made people's lives better in some way for having known me. In fact, one, if, you, if you've never done this before, one of the first leadership things I went to and Warren ran it 
and he had everyone in the room and he's like, and this is a tough exercise, especially at little kids. He said, you know, write your eulogy. What do you, what do you want people to show up in your funeral and, 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 and say about you? What do you want your kids to say? What do you want your wife to say? And, and in that, I actually think you start to find your, a lot of your core values if you haven't sorted that out yet. So that, that was my answer then that I came up with. And then I, I will stick with that. Um, so I, I actually have done that exercise and uh, I met this other guy in that exercise that said, it's better if you don't even put your name. So, so the description down there should be so specific that everybody would know that it's you. Yeah. Um, Everyone would know it's you. Yeah. Well, uh, but yeah, if you have, if you have kids and you're thinking about what do you want your kid to yeah. say, I mean, that's an, that is a emotional. Let's do that now. Why would that be? <laughs> be the same thing for me. Oh. Right. I, I think that is, that is a universal truth. If you have, if you have found your core purpose is that I would want, you know, people in my family or my kids or, uh, or, or professionally to all say the same thing, which is that, you know, having something I had done for them or just me being involved in their life had, had made them better in some way. Awesome. Um, Bob, thank you so much for your time. This has been awesome. Uh, it's so much how much you learn about a person just by talking to them for an hour. Um, and, and you're kind of like open to answer anything, which is not common in entrepreneurs. It, it seems to be just only success. Really? I, I think in entrepreneurs, they, they don't get themselves in trouble by talking too much. They, it's, I'm learning. It's, it's amazing. It's overly trusting. <laughs> well, they're great at branding, right? <laughs> Everybody has yeah. a good story. But uh, yours is still a successful story. And that's why we had you here. Um, I'll, I'll definitely recommend uh, Performance Partnerships. I mean, Paige. 84 and i i'm about to keep reading it this weekend because i probably will follow up on the blog with this uh if you have enough subscribe to friday forward do it bob uh definitely write some uh thoughtful uh, uh things every friday that you can share with others uh, we do here in lexington uh christine started and then i subscribe and now we share it with everybody in the company and some clients actually so thank you for that uh we're not supposed to pay you for that right <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, thank you, Bob. All right. Thanks, Jordy. Uh, have a good day. Bye. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Bob as much as we did. He, it, I always learn every time I talk to him. Please follow him on Twitter. Uh, his Twitter handle is Robert underscore Glazer with a Z. Also, please buy his book, Performance Partnerships. Uh, it's definitely a must read for anybody interested in marketing. Follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Facebook. We are Lexington Wealth Management, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Entrepreneur's Wallet. Until next time, have a good day. Oh, 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 oh,